Holiday House Books for Young Readers, Peachtree Publishing Company, and Pixel Inc. present Andrew Joseph White, best-selling author of The Spirit Bears Its Teeth, and Autumn Krauss, author of Before the Devil Knows You're Here, in conversation with senior editor Ashley Hearn. Hello, I'm Ashley Hearn, Peachtree Teens senior editor, and there's nothing like a good horror novel to lift the hairs on the back of your neck and keep you awake at night, as I've been doing the last several nights. For young adult readers, diving into all things macabre, creepy, paranormal, metaphysical, and downright horrific can provide an opportunity to consider the emotions, challenges, and uncertainty of what it means to be a teen today. So today for the guest book, I'm here with authors Andrew Joseph White and Autumn Krauss to discuss their latest horror novels. Andrew Joseph White is the New York Times and indie bestselling author of Hell Followed With Us and most recently, The Spirit Bears Its Teeth, a blood-soaked and nauseating triumph that cuts like a scalpel and reads like your darkest nightmare and is the transgressive gothic horror of our time. With five-starred reviews, The Spirit Bears Its Teeth is called Visceral and Vindicating by Kirkus Reviews and a riveting spellbinding Victorian horror by Shelf Awareness. Autumn Krauss is the author of Before the Devil Knows You're Here, part gothic fantasy, part journey into the bizarre. This delicious blending of tall tales and Latin American surrealism will haunt you as you devour it. In a starred review, Kirkus calls it highly imaginative and powerfully affecting. Both The Spirit Bears Its Teeth and Before the Devil Knows You're Here are available wherever you buy books. Andrew and Autumn, welcome to the guest book. Hello. Yay, and it's so happy to have you here as your editors. Um, both of your books came out this fall, um, and it was really fun launching two horror novels that are very, very different. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun as we talk, because we're going to be talking a lot about what makes a book horror, but also the range that exists within the genre, because... I mean, as I was editing your guys' books for the same season, it never felt like I was doing, I was working on two books that had any similarity whatsoever. (laughs) So to kick off our discussion, um, I guess I would like to start with how you guys define the horror in your books. Um, Or what, what would you say for readers that come to the book looking for something horrific, what do you think that they'll pull away from it? What is a horror reader going to find there? Whoever wants to go first. Yeah, I was about to say that's a really good question. Um, And I think the easy answer for mine is like the medical horror of the spirit bears its teeth because it's very uh, gross. Um, My father works in the medical field, uh, so I was pretty much raised around this sort of thing. And it's very normal to me. Um, and hearing the responses from readers being like, this was disgusting, um, was very fun. Um, but on top of that, the medical like gore is just like the trappings for societal horror. I think the book gets very deep into like using the horror genre and the sort of like the genre conventions of horror, I should say as a way to explore transphobia, homophobia, and ableism, um, which is my go-to. I love doing that. That's my whole thing. Um, So reading The Spirit Bears Its Teeth, it's very like using the horror genre as a way to reflect the lived experiences of queer and disabled people. 
Yeah. And I guess I would say for me, um, I feel like the horror in my book, um, it's kind of a more along the lines of like metamorphosis um, and, and probably a little bit less on the intense gory side. Um, hopefully, you know, there are some really, you know, moments that are very vivid and visceral. Um, and I think the way horror functions in my novel is that it's kind of like the horror of nature. Um, the fact that, you know, it's not controllable. Um, you know, Johnny's like literally turning into a tree and kind of like the horror of how that feels like that's being impressed upon him no matter what he does. Um, and so I would say, yeah, like probably not super intense, gory, but hopefully very vivid, very visceral um, and kind of terrifying in concept and in thought of like, oh, my gosh, like my body is being turned into a tree. I mean, like encased in bark and how, you know, absolutely horrible and scary that would be and how that ties into the fact that, yeah, like, you know, nature it's a force. And if it like comes at you, you know, it will like ultimately like demolish you. Like there's nothing, you know, you can really do like all the technology in the world can't save you. You know, I think I we're was... going to have to keep a tally for how many times we use the word visceral in. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm, was... just, I, oh. I'm overusing it so much lately. <laughs> oh, I me was... too. Every Instagram caption. I'm like visceral. <laughs> I was lucky enough to blurb uh, your book. I got to read it early. And what it reminded me a lot of is the horror when you learn what actually happens to caterpillars inside cocoons. That's what it reminded me of. So, Andrew, what happens to caterpillars inside cocoons? This was definitely a pre-scripted question. <laughs> like being in um, a tree. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, um, I was always under the impression when I was little, it's like, oh, you know, they grow like legs and wings. They completely dissolve into mush. They just disintegrate. If you crack one open too early, it's just meat sludge. It's just goop. And oh, it no. reconstitutes into a butterfly. And it's fascinating to me. The moment I learned that, oh my God. That's well, this what research, the book reminds me of, yeah. I was going to say, this This sounds like research for your adult book. <laughs> Maybe a little. Maybe a little. <laughs> I guess like getting into the, the topic of inspiration, um, what uh, inspired these particular stories? Because I know you guys have a vast canon of different ideas, but these particular stories, when we're talking about horror, what inspired um, the concept behind each of them? So for me, you know, I was always raised with the story of Johnny Appleseed. Um, I always was really captivated by an, the idea of somebody traveling far and wide, planting seeds, just kind of, you know, roaming, untethered, Um almost like the sense of like a ghost ship roaming the ocean, but it's somebody roaming the land. Um, and so I always, you know, had that story in my head, but then, you know, it's me. So I had to take that story and be like, oh my gosh, but like, what if, you know, the seeds he is planting were cursed? What if he made a deal with the devil? What if, you know, the apples, instead of, you know, you, you eating them, they basically devour you. Um, so it just, it's, I, I headed off with the story and um and then there you have it. <laughs> Lots of questions that led to a very um fun book to to write. It was also very fun to read. I loved all of the layers that came together with it. Um for me, like I mentioned before, um, I kind of grew up around medical gore. It was always just like a normal we talk about it at the dinner table. It drove my mom up the wall. Um but a lot of it had to do with the history of hysteria as a medical ailment, which is just woman does a thing I don't like. Um, and on top of that, um, 
conversion therapy, um, specifically towards trans kids, um, and also some of the more brutal uh, therapies that were used to, quote unquote, normalize UG, ew, um, autistic kids. Um, so when you put all of that together with the wrapping of like the violent gender norms of the Victorian era, there was a lot of space for me to do some really awful things to my protagonist. Rude, really rude. No, neither <laughs> of you guys do horrible things to any of your to either of your characters. It's it's all, you know, sunshine and rainbows in these horrific novels for them. <laughs> We're so normal, so normal. <laughs> I, I'm going to peel back the curtain just a little bit here for um, for our readers and talk about what goes into putting a list together from an editor's perspective. Um, because when I'm acquiring books to go into a specific season, publishing works in typically three seasons. Um, our company calls them spring, summer, and fall. And Andrew and Autumn's books are on fall 2023. Um, and when I'm Deciding what books are going to go into a season, I try to uh, I try to pair books that I think are going to do well in a season for sales. But also I try to keep those books. Um, I don't want those books to compete with each other. So I try to keep a, a very broad array of books on a list so that I don't have three uh, epic fantasies or three contemporaries dealing with the same topic. I try to spread those things out so that um, each season feels well-rounded as a whole. So when somebody approached me um, in in office and was like, oh, did you realize that you had two historical horror novels on this list? I honestly had to think about it for a second because I was like, I, I hadn't thought about that because I was I had never considered that the books were similar in that in like a genre kind of way because they're such different reading experiences. And so kind of pivoting off of that, both of the books, they have historical settings. Spirit Bears Its Teeth takes place in Victorian England and Before the Devil Knows You're Here takes place in early 19th century backwoods of Wisconsin. Why did you guys choose a historical setting for your books? Um, and what kind of research went into creating the settings for these novels? I think I went with Victorian England specifically because I was looking for a time frame that was relatively accessible to um, my audience, something that um, I had license to speak on, which is important. And um which would have a very set social hierarchy and Victorian England loves social hierarchies. Um, it's because lots of rules. Lots yeah, of exactly. <laughs> oh, like the etiquette rules. Um, none of which makes sense to my autistic protagonist. They are all extremely confusing to him, which made it even better. Yeah. Um, so those two, those three things came together and I was like, I have, I have to use this, um, a little bit behind the scenes as well. Um, the main reason that it got picked was originally um, this book was supposed to be set in a world similar to the setting of the Dishonored video game. Um, oh, because, really? Yeah, because yeah. that's where I got the initial <laughs> okay, idea. Yeah. That was that was the vibe. And so when I was like, oh, I should make it more like closer to what actually exists, I was like, well, that's pretty much pseudo Victorian. So I'm just 
kind of going to look for excuses to keep it because I don't want to change too much. Yeah. (laughs) And Autumn, why Wisconsin? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know why Wisconsin because Wisconsin is great, but... (laughs) I picked Wisconsin because, you know, it had um, it has really interesting apple agriculture. Um, You know, people at first thought apples would never thrive there. So that kind of gave, you know, Johnny his impetus to figure out a way to grow apples there with, you know, crossbreeding. And then, you know, after apples, um, after agriculture advanced there, apples actually do really, really well there. So I was like, oh, I have to pick a place that, you know, apples, there's like a history of apples. Um, and also, you know, I want to put, pick a place that really like embody pioneerism and that spirit. Um, so it kind of only made natural sense. I feel like Wisconsin, you know, it had the apples and then it has that as well. Um, and so it was basically just like the perfect setting for this Johnny, dark Johnny Appleseed retelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, had I originally read your manuscript not long after I had been in the north woods of Wisconsin myself. Um, I have a lot of family that lives in Wisconsin and there's not a lot of novels that take place there. And one of the things that drew me in was that, uh, and I thought you captured really well, is that the the Northwoods of Wisconsin are some of the darkest, quietest places that I have been because there's not, because it's a very rural but wooded area. When you get out into those woods at night, there's just no light except for just pinpricks of stars. And because of all the trees, it just gets so quiet and so hushed. And just imagining this girl trudging through this absolute, like, dark, quiet wilderness, but then all these horrors kind of existing out of it. That was part of why I was like, yeah, this is the great setting for bad things to happen to you. <laughs> Yeah. And I think like for me, I'm like, oh, the woods to me, like I feel like, you know, the deep, dark woods, not that I have been in them often, but like to me, like they almost have this concept of like, oh, my gosh, that must be like what it feels like to be like lost in space or something like you're just in a different dimension where, you know, all you see is like the same trees, you know, coming around and around and around and, you know, darkness and you're just kind of like adrift. Yeah. And for Catalina in the story, it's at some point she leaves the world as we know it into a like more like metaphoric bizarre landscape and it's unclear when exactly that point occurs like when is she in wisconsin and when is she just in a like surrealist landscape and i feel like that setting creates that portal where it's it's just so unknown between when are you in reality and when are you in the surreal um let's next talk about uh let's talk about actually you know what i'm gonna pivot off of surrealism because i i love things that are surreal and let's talk about symbolism because one of the things that i love so much about horror is um how visual it is and the the ways that the visuals can tell and can be a vehicle for the horrors and the message that you want to convey through the horrors so the way that the the way that theme and visuals come together in those symbols is something that i always find fascinating about horror and both spirit bears its teeth 
and Before the Devil Knows You're Here are very rich in symbolism. Um, in Spirit Bears Its Teeth, you've got the purple, you've got eyes, you've got um, all the medical gore. In Before the Devil Knows You're Here, you've got the apples um, that, that may kill you. You've got trees. What does the symbolism in your stories mean to you? And um, can you talk about a little bit the, about the inspiration behind the symbolism in your stories specifically? Yeah, so I guess for me, you know, apples obviously were the probably the biggest motif throughout the whole story. Um, and, you know, I've always been so interested by apples when I was little. You know, I loved that seed star in the middle um, and how, you know, that kind of represents kind of like symmetry in nature and order in nature and beauty in nature. Um, and so, and then, you know, as you look through kind of like the literary landscape, you know, you see apples in stories and in lore that, you know, like they represent like beauty and knowledge and temptation, like they kind of represent all these different things. And so for me, that was really a jumping off point to kind of explore those different aspects and kind of play with them. I mean, even like, especially like in America, you know, we have this idea of, you know, like wholesome as apple pie or, you know, give an apple a day, keeps the doctor away or give your teacher an apple. And then that kind of clashing or clashing with um, these kind of deep literary symbolisms of apples, you know, literally representing like a fall from God. And so for me, it was so fun to explore the the apples in this concept and have them be more of the fall from God apples than the, you know, <laughs> teacher an apple. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. And like, look, like I know I'm a grown man, but I am a symbolism girly through and through. Like I'm a huge fan. I love it. The two that I think really stand out in the Spirit Bears' its teeth are like the violet and the eyes, which kind of comes together because the main character, you know, has violet eyes and violet eyes are a whole thing in the book. And there's a whole societal expectation and weight surrounding people that have them, even though it is just a minor biological mutation that doesn't actually mean anything. Violet obviously is a very, has all of that weight to it where it's like the color of royalty. Um, and also it is not very commonly like found in nature. Um, I am, if you are versed at all in any internet lore, I can't believe I got away with purple eyes and not having 70 people go Alexandria's Genesis on me. I was like, no, I didn't do that. Um, (laughs) exactly. Um, and also eyeballs largely because they're a very vulnerable part of the human body and largely because I have a huge squick for like eyeball gore. Um, so obviously- You just wanted to gross yourself out. Exactly. <laughs> um, I have a very hard time grossing myself out. So every, every time I need to write a horror novel, I'm like, what's going to be the thing that gets to me? And I'm like, this time it's going to be eyeballs. There's something like so vulnerable about eyes that this is kind of like, okay, so the main character is going to be like constantly thinking about taking them out of his own skull, which is so fun and normal for a 16 year old to be thinking about. That's totally um, a mark of mental stability. He's doing fine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I guess like kind of bouncing off that both of your stories deal with elements of body horror. Um, Spirit bears its teeth um, in the medical gore and before the devil knows you're here in terms of the uh, antagonist or one of the antagonists, I guess you could argue that the banker is the antagonist turning into a tree, the meta- the metamorphosis aspect. Um, what do you think is fascinating for readers reading body horror? And is it fun to write or is it just... Is, is it just something that 
you do because the story uh, asks it of you. I I love body horror. It's it's my favorite. It's one of my go tos. Um, and I think the reason that I know a lot of my readership likes it is because body horror is very deeply intertwined with transness. There's a whole thing there. Um, because if you think about it for too long, like I inject a quarter of a milliliter of some strange little liquid once a week and it has deepened my voice. It has given me facial hair. It has completely changed my facial structure. That's weird if you think about it that's uh, upsetting i i like it but don't think about it too hard um and the whole experience of like not identifying with the flesh suit that you have been stuck into is just ripe for body horror why not just break it and change it it's just meat it's bones it's organs um so there is a lot of stuff to play around with there and on top of it the book being about medical gore um especially taking place in the victorian era where there wasn't a lot of protections given to patients so there is a lot of opportunities for things to go very wrong and for people to be mistreated by doctors who are supposedly trying to do the right thing are they do they think they are because sometimes they are doing the right thing or they think they're doing the right thing and they're not or they know they're not doing the right thing and they don't care there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, and so for my trans readers, there's just a lot of like identification with the idea of something going wrong with your flesh, mm-hmm. which fun. <laughs> as as we pivot to autumn, I actually had a thought as as you were, were saying that about how the body horror in both of your stories also thematically relates to being trapped how for Silas, um, he's literally trapped in this institution, but also that feeling of, like you said, being trapped in in his body, in the meat suit that he was given and it not reflecting um, who he knows he is as a person. And that like kind of relates to what Johnny's going through. Autumn, you said earlier, like he's trapped in this tree man suit. <laughs> like we're not talking about a prison of the flesh. We're talking about a prison of the bark um, and how like his flesh becomes the bark. Is that something that was kind of on your mind as you were writing? Oh, for sure. And, you know, like when like I actually really, really do enjoy writing um, body horror, you know, especially like in the ways that you see it in my book. Um, You know, like when I was little, I would always kind of like look around and think like look at a dog and be like, oh, like, you know, but it like it has a skull like literally like right there. Like it's just covered by like, you know, muscle skin for whatever. Um, You know, like what would it be like if you could like see that or like, you know, looking at a tree and being like, oh, I see like a face in there, you know, um. Like see a lot of faces in trees, man. <laughs> triple trees. Yeah, that's like it. I feel like they're they're like yeah. made for that. You know, it's kind of like this concept of like I kind of have this like sort of you know how like people uh cloud gaze and like see images there, except for I would kind of see them everywhere all the time. And so um drawing that out um and then being able to draw that out as an adult in my writing has been really, really fun. You know, when I was little, it would really scare me, it would like terrify me. So being able to like harness that fear harness that um, kind of out of control aspect of my imagination and then put it into um, this expression of writing as an adult um, has been a pretty intense and I would say good, good experience. Does that sound weird? I enjoyed a lot. (laughs) Ooh, I, Andrew, you might've already answered this question. 
but I'm curious what each of you thinks is the scariest thing you've written for yourself. Like what is something that you wrote? And then afterwards you were like, oh my God, what just came out of my head? Like, why? Honestly, I think my answer is the thing that I'm working on now. So I have an adult novel coming out in 25. Um, and it is specifically about the body horror and trauma of being pregnant as a trans person. Um, <laughs> every time that I work, every time that I work on this, I'm like, this is, this is so bad. Like, <laughs> it's definitely the book where, um, I gave like a 10 page synopsis to my editor. And yet every time I write a scene, I'm like, I'm allowed to do this, right? Like I've been given free reign to do this, right? And I'll go to my editor and he's like, yep, I was cool with that. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Autumn, have you ever terrified yourself in your own writing? You know, I would probably, you know, so it's interesting because like, and before the devil knows you're here, I feel like the thing that really terrifies me is this concept of being trapped in some place kind of like eternally and the idea of like, oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. You're like literally scaring me saying that. <laughs> you know, like this idea of, you know, like everything that we conceive of has an end, but then there's this like pervasive, you know, idea of like living eternally, having no end ever. But then also the alternative to that is like oblivion and like, what would that even mean? So like that existential um, concept to me as I was writing, um, you know, the underworld for John and just like the idea and for Catalina, that moment where she's realizing like, I'm going to be here like forever, like what does forever even mean? And that's like something that is like, it like terrifies me to wrap my mind around. And then, yeah. And then to consider the alternative of like, oh, like what is it, you know, that now that you are in being, what is it to not, what would be the idea of not being, you know, like, would it be just like, a, like, the light has been turned on. Like you can't really even just like, can you even like just switch it off, you know? And so that idea really scared me while I was writing it. And then of course, you know, as I've been writing, you know, different books, um, there's always, you know, like super intense, scary moments. Um, it's really easy to scare. I'm like easily scared. I'm scared all the time. So <laughs> it's, it's um, so me scaring myself while writing that happens, you know, every day. <laughs> My biggest fear is uh, being buried alive. I think I read Cask of Amontillado too young and the whole idea of being lured into a wine cellar for like a nice vintage and then just walled up and just a rot there. And so like, I don't want to spoil anything too much in, in your book, Autumn, but there are just some, some ways in which a person might end up like trapped in their own mind, in their own body, unable to do anything about it that, yeah, absolutely horrifying, absolutely played on my worst nightmares as a kid. <laughs> but I love to be scared as like, that's as an editor, like when I'm thinking of, because I often get the question, I think probably the most asked question I get as an editor is what, what makes a story a yes for you? And for me, it is feeling things like to, to read something and be afraid to read something and want to cry over it, to have my heart broken by a character, to want to give my heart to a character. So anytime I can, like when I read something and, and fear is a feeling that is so visceral and so human, I love to be scared when I'm reading. So I, I, I say you, you, you picked on my worst nightmare autumn, but I mean that with literally all the love in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I want to talk a little bit about the horror genre at um, at large and expand the scope beyond your guys' books to um, maybe um, some other books out there because the landscape for YA horror right now is so vast and so lush and is full of some just amazing writers out there doing some amazing things. So um, I want to pivot quickly to um, have you guys read some other YA horror books lately that you would recommend? Um, and what was it about those books that you really, really loved? You know, um, I'm just realizing I don't think this is a YA book. Um, I recommend not YA. <laughs> I'll but give you permission. Just, Hacienda by Isabel Oh, Hunter. yeah. But Hacienda is fantastic. The aftermath of the um, Mexican War for Independence. And there's this young woman going to this um, crumbling house. And she thinks it's a place of refuge, but it's not. Um, and so that is a book that just... I like read it so fast. It's like really, I'm like a bit of like actually like a reluctant reader. It's like hard for me to focus on books. It's actually really hard for me to sit down and read books. Like literally I make myself do it because I want to always be immersed like in story structure as a writer. But that was a book where like I didn't have to work. Like I just was like swept away into the river of the story. Um, and it ties, it has like a lot of the things that I love about, you know, gothic literature, like, you know, going to a house, the mm -hmm. house has secrets, you know, what ghosts are in there, you know, and what ghost does it dig up about, you know, your own past and your own self? Um, so I would highly, highly recommend that book. Also, like the historical world is so vivid and so well, um, well articulated. Um, it was something I really admired, you know, even just reading it as a writer. I was like, oh, my gosh, like mm -hmm. this is something I really I really hope my books capture, too. Yeah. The Hacienda is by Isabel Cañas, and it was pitched as Mexican Gothic meets Rebecca. And if that doesn't get, make you want to read something, then, oh, I, then I, I'm sorry, your tastes and mine don't align. <laughs> I think I'm currently sitting on the fence between two. Um, one's a YA and one's an adult. Um, the YA that I come back to every time I'm asked for a recommendation is The Taking of Jake Livingston by Ryan Douglas. Mm -hmm. I love it to bits and pieces. Um, it's about a Black kid at a rich school um, who is haunted by the ghost of a school shooter. Um, and it is so good. It I love it to the ends of the earth. It is absolutely amazing. I love the style. I love like the like the depths it's willing to go to. Um, I have a lot of respect for that book. I adore it. Um, and the adult one that always sticks out to me is The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. I I don't think I've it. ever been on a panel with you where you haven't recommended that book. <laughs> I, it's so good. It granted anything by Stephen Graham Jones. Yeah. Um, I, I am a fanboy. His work is amazing. And it's also one of those books where it's just kind of like, is he going to go there? Yes, he's going to go there. And it's great. And I have a lot of respect for that. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, um, Brian Douglas and Stephen Graham Jones. Absolutely. I think, I mean, it doesn't surprise me given the fearlessness that you write with, but also that that's something that you connect with in other people's books is when they don't sanitize themselves and that they're willing to go that extra mile. And like, if, if you, if you imagine those authors, if they ever stop to ask themselves the question, should I, their answer was, yes, I should. <laughs> yeah. I can tell when an author is like flinching. 
and it kind of pulls me out of the book. Um, and my personal rule is that in my writing, I don't get to flinch, even if I'm writing for kids, because believe me, kids can tell too. So. Yeah, for sure. So why do you guys think that YA or horror in general has has gotten so popular? And why do you think that as a genre, horror is resonating so deeply with teen readers today? I know that when I was a kid, um, so I had a relatively or a, even extremely like charmed life growing up, um, wanted for nothing. But because I didn't know that I was disabled and I didn't know that I was trans, I still felt awful all the time. And for a reason that nobody can pinpoint, um, I told nobody I looked perfectly fine on the surface. Um, but on the inside, I felt like an alien and I disliked people and I did not know what was going on. But for someone who uh, appears happy and genuinely has like great loving parents, financial stability, if I expressed that I didn't feel great, people would be like, what are you complaining about? Because I didn't have the language that I was like, I don't like my body. And also I don't understand anybody. I didn't have the language for that. So I was just kind of stuck, like pretending to be fine. And horror was the place that I went because it gave me an excuse to like feel negative things. Um, so I buried myself in it. Um, I largely started off with video games. I was playing like Dead Space at 12, which is horrific. Why? Um, but eventually I, I actually skipped YA horror entirely and went straight to adult because none of the YA horror was, you know, upsetting enough for me. Um, I went straight to Poppy Z Bright as a kid. And I'm just glad now that I get to write the books that I couldn't find as a teenager. And my readers, um, the amount of fan mail that I get, I like to think that I found my little spot. I think I did pretty okay. <laughs> I definitely think that YA horror is something that's exploded in the last five years. And mm -hmm. I mean, especially post 2020, it's, yeah, I think that that there's a lot we can talk about and that we don't even have time for today to talk about like why teens today are gravitating so much toward the horrors and we probably can't answer everything without without some kind of sociology training and degree. Autumn, what do you think is um is so captivating to teens today about horror? You know, I think there just is something about horror, just like universally that kind of appeals to everyone. I know for me, um, you know, my very literally my very first memory as a child was literally being at um an open casket funeral. I was raised around, you know, um, lots and lots of death, people, you know, saying goodbye to ones they loved and seeing that up close at a very young age all through, you know, growing up. And so I think, you know, horror is a way to let us explore even the fact that if you, you know, you live like a charmed life or a happy life as, you know, as much as anyone can, you know, the fact that death still awaits. So I think that horror lets you really explore that. I know for me, that's kind of like something that I really explore with horror in my writing and I'm sure you know and even as a teen that was something that really really um lived mm -hmm. large in my mind and so I would imagine you know for this probably like lots of other teens like me too or you know how I was and that it's a way to grapple with that and explore it and confront it and to kind of reason with it or you know even realize maybe you can't fully mm -hmm. that was very yeah. upbeat <laughs> no yeah no <laughs> very I positive 
it's you know we're talking <laughs> about horror so we're staying on theme we're staying on brand here no i i think i i think you both are kind of touching on a a really important point to to end on and that is that horror as a genre really grapples with humanity in a buzzword visceral way <laughs> um and with that um we're gonna wrap things up um with our final question since this is the guest book um how would you guys like to sign the guest book today you go andrew so i can see what you do and then i can <laughs> you don't want to be you're not gonna be the first to sign the guest book you have to see how everybody else oh, sign, sign. I thought, like, you've been to enough weddings <laughs> <laughs> I'll let Andrew go and then I'll go. (laughs) Yeah, so mine is towards aspiring writers, young writers, and people that don't know that they're going to be writers in the future. My go-to is if you're like marginalized in any way and you're writing a story, you have to find the worm in your brain that's telling you to ease up and not like go as far as you need to go because you're worried that it'll upset people in the majority that worm in your brain exists and it existed for me when i came out um you got to find it and pull it out of your head you got to do it um it's going to be one of the best things you do for your art i promise i would say you know if you can't say it if there's something you can't say um there's a chance you can write it and if you can't write it there's a chance you can read it um, I know that that has been the role books have filled for me. You know, I've always been had a very like introspective life that was very different from my kind of like outward expressing life. And so for me, I have found, you know, the things I can't say I can write. And that has always been very comforting. And then if I can't write it, there's a book I can find to read about it. So that'll be my <laughs> my sign off. Autumn, you were so nervous to sign, but your your signature was gorgeous. Oh, my gosh. I like I don't do well just like thinking on the spot, you know, like I prepare <laughs> a lot. So, like, the, the thought of having to speak spontaneously, it, does, it doesn't go well for me. Do you well, hear the panic in my voice? Just a little bit, but you know what? I love you dearly for it. And you know what? I'm going to let you off the hook now. <laughs> so, so you can, you can, you can stop panicking. This, this was your horror, right? Was having to speak extemporaneously. Yeah, yeah. Forget, yeah, forget, you know, immortality. This, this was it. Public speaking every time. <laughs> Well, it was such a pleasure to talk to both of my beloved authors here today about um, their books that came out this fall. Again, The Spirit Bears Its Teeth by Andrew Joseph White and Before the Devil Knows You're Here by Autumn Krauss are available everywhere books are sold. Um, So go out, find them, see what's um, what's similar, what's different, scare yourselves and uh, and feel your feelings and feel your humanity viscerally as you read these books so thank you all for joining and um have a have a lovely reading experience 